We're talking about the will of God this morning. David writes in Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think for a lot of us, we've had many desires in our life. We've had many things that we wanted in our life that we thought, oh, this is a godly thing. This is a thing that that God would want. It's a good thing. It's something that would benefit me. It's something that would benefit the kingdom. So, uh, God, you should, you know, this is a desire of my heart. You should give this to me. Right? How many times have we, have we prayed, when we're talking about the will of God, we've prayed, uh, you know, God, you know, maybe I should have this job or this promotion because, like, think of the tithing I can do if I have this new job. Or, uh, uh, you know, God, I want this spouse. Think of the godly children that we would raise. You know, we'll raise the next Charles Spurgeon if, if you gave me this spouse. Uh, whatever it is, whatever it is you guys pray about. I don't know what you pray about. I don't know what the desires of your heart are. But there are a lot of times where... We pray for things that we really want, and when we're, when we're seeking the will of God, what we're actually doing is we're not seeking God's will, but we're actually seeking our own will. That a lot of times when we're praying, we're not saying, God, whatever it is that you want, I just want to be a vessel, I just want you to move through me. A lot of times we're saying, God, you should really consider this. <laughs> this is really something that you should be thinking about. I've run the numbers, and trust me, it's the right thing to do. Uh, And that's a lot of times what we're talking about when we're looking at the will of God is sometimes the will of God is more about us than it is about God in our minds. Uh, And we wouldn't ever say this, we wouldn't ever, you know, explicitly put this into words, but even sometimes we're thinking to ourselves like, God, I've been very faithful recently. You kind of owe me this one, you know? You kind of owe me whatever it is that I want, whatever it is that this desire of my heart is. So when we talk about the will of God in general, it's weird because the Bible sp- uh, talks a lot about the will of God, but we have a pretty big misunderstanding of what the will of God is, of what scripture really says the will of God is. And so we're going to look this morning, we're going to look at what is the will of God? What does the Bible specifically say the will of God for us is? And then we're going to look at how does that change our lives? How does that affect our lives? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. We're going to look at uh, a parable, and then in the back end of the sermon, we're going to look at a bunch of other verses, not a bunch, a few other verses, uh, that, that talk about the will of God. It should be on the screen. Uh, if you want to stand up with me and read it, it's Matthew 21, verse 28 through 32. It's only five verses, so you guys don't have to stand for very long. He says, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son... Go to work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. The man came to the second son and he said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. All right, you can take a seat. So... 
Matthew chapter 21 is uh, pretty much entirely about Jesus' authority. This is uh, kind of on the back end of his ministry. He's going to be crucified soon. So the chapter starts with him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and everyone is saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory in the highest. Um, He goes into the temple, and he starts flipping tables because people have confused the prosperity and the spirit with prosperity and wealth. They thought if you followed God that you would get rich, which wasn't true. So God was going in there, or Jesus was going there, and flipping tables and throwing coins at him, saying, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. Um, And then right before this, the Pharisees kind of come before him, and they start challenging him on John the Baptist stuff. And and he answers them with this parable. With this parable about the two sons, uh, probably a parable that you're familiar with. It's very simple. Um, It starts, and he says, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first son and said, Son, go work in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it. And he went. So the first son rejects his father. His father says, I I want you to go work in my vineyard. I want you to go do the stuff that I've asked of you. And the son says, absolutely not. That does not sound fun. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a vineyard, but it's hot and there's, I don't know, it's work, you know? And so he's saying, I do not want to do that, dad. No, absolutely not. He He rejects it, but then after time goes on, he realizes, oh, that was stupid of me. I, you know, that was, I shouldn't have done that. That was rude. That was mean. I shouldn't have just told my dad, no, you shouldn't do that ever in this way. Uh, and so he regretted it, and he went and he did the work. And that word regret, the uh, Greek word there, I don't know what it is. I don't know how to say it. Um, but it's like repenting. It's not the strongest repenting. It's not the metanoia repenting. Uh, it's kind of a weaker verb form of that. But the idea is that he felt bad and he repented of what he was doing. That he's like, I, I, I need to change. I need to not just go apologize for not doing this, but I need to go actually with my actions and go and do this work. Go and do what my dad asked me to do. And so he goes and he works the field. He initially rejects what his father asks of him, but eventually he submits himself to the father. And if this first son, this is something that uh, we can definitely relate to, um, in how often that we have commands from God that we do not want to do. How often God says, you should do this, and we're like, ah, no, I don't want to do that. That sounds miserable. Some of the, you know, I think of when you come home from work and you're really frustrated with someone, you're just so angry, and what do you do? You just, like, start talking so much trash. You're just, you're like, I know I shouldn't. I know I should love them. I know I shouldn't, you know, just absolutely slander their character. But you wouldn't believe what they did. And you know God has told you not to do that. You know what God has commanded you, but you're just like, I no, God, I don't I trust, I want to do this. Or perhaps you've just heard the juiciest gossip. Like just the, just the richest, oh, you wouldn't believe what this person was doing. And instead of, you know, doing what you would, the way you would like to be treated, of just keeping it to yourself and not saying anything, you're like, oh, but God, this is big. This, if true, this could change things. And you know God doesn't want you to do it, but you're just saying, no, God, you know, just, I, I just really... I don't want to be obedient to you. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do uh, what is in my flesh. I want to just engage in whatever I want. For some of you guys, maybe it's like you watch Game of Thrones, you know, instead of honoring your spouse or whatever. I'm kidding. 
I'm not really kidding. Um, but no, maybe it's you have this like weird crippling addiction to television that we joke about, like, oh, binge watching TV, and we're like, like, you ever use the word binge anything in a positive sense? And perhaps it is, it's that you have some sort of addiction in your life, like TV or movies or books or whatever it is, and, and you, you struggle to get into the Word of God because you don't ever have time, but then you spend six hours watching Breaking Bad because it's the 10th year since it came out, and you just have this ridiculous situation that you find yourself in where God has asked you to do something, God has commanded something of you, and like the first son, you say, no, I don't want to. But the first son, he, he realizes that. He realizes his disobedience, and he eventually repents and submits himself to his father. And ultimately, that's what the, the first son shows us, is even though a lot of times we don't want to do what God asks us to, he repents and submits himself to the father. He says in verse 30, the man came to the second son and said the same thing, that you should come and, and, and work in the field. And he answered, I will, sir, but he didn't go. And so the, the second son seems like he's better, right? His, his dad comes up to him and he has a much better response initially. Of like, I need you to go work in the field. And the son says, oh yeah, absolutely, 100%, I'll, I'll be there. And then he doesn't do it. The second son says the right words, but he doesn't have the right actions. He, he, he's more talk than he is actually doing it. And obviously we can all relate to that, of how many times people ask you to do something, tell you to do something, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just totally, I don't know, forget, or you don't want to, or you're just a liar, or whatever it is. I think at this point in the year, it's uh, safe to say that most of you have given up on whatever New Year's resolution that you um, had boldly chosen to try to do this year. Um, and that's exactly the, the nature of us as humans is we say, yeah, I'm going to do this, and then, no, I'm not going to do it. That's awful. That's, there's a reason I wasn't doing it before. It's because I don't like to do that. But the second son does what we do all the time, and it's we love to honor God with our lips, but not with our lives. We like to pretend to be spiritual. We like to pretend to, you know, kind of show everyone else, oh, I'm very holy, I'm very righteous, or whatever it is. But, but when it comes to actually doing it, we're that second son that says, I will, I will, sir. You know, he even throws sir in there. It's very polite. But he doesn't do it. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 15, 8, uh, he's quoting Isaiah here. He says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And, and how often do you find you know, when you're reading scripture and you're looking at something that's challenging or you hear a sermon and you hear something that's challenging that you feel like you should really start doing in your life and you say, you know what, I, I'm going to do that, I want to do that, but your heart is so far from that? They think, okay, yeah, you know, Ben said this and that was really challenging and I re- want to really start doing that in my life. But you kind of, you know, you resort to your own strength rather than the strength of the Holy Spirit and what happens? You fail. And just like the second son, you say, I, I, I will, but then you don't. That you're a lot of talk, but your actions don't back up what you do. And so Jesus says in verse 31, which of the two did the will of the Father? And this is what I love about Jesus' teaching, this is what's incredible, is that the answer is obvious. 
I, I've tried to use rhetorical questions before, and it doesn't work. It's not, I'm not as good at teaching as Jesus is, obviously. Um, he says, well, which one is it? And it's so obvious which one is the right one. It's the first son. Because what he's saying to them is submitting to God is the will of the Father. He's saying, which one is doing the will of the Father? It's the first one. Because even though he didn't want to, even though he didn't even say he was going to, he was ultimately the one that did it. Now, if you notice there, what it says, uh, what it's talking about, the will of the Father or the will of God, as this is a parable of, what he's not saying, what he's not telling you is, oh, it's, you know, who you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to have, where you're going to live, what job you're going to do, and how much money you're going to make doing it. No, when he's talking about the will of God, he's talking about an action. He's talking about doing what the Father has asked. He's talking about living a life that when God has commanded you, you do it. That submitting to God is the will of God. That we read his word, we look at his commandments, and we live them. Even when it's things we don't want to do, and probably even especially when it's things we don't want to do. The first son did not want to do it. And yet he was the one that did the will of the Father. So we talk about the will of God in general. The issue is we want God to reveal things to us. We want him to show things to us. But we're not even willing to do the things he has already showed us. We want him to, you know, show me this thing. Show me that thing. Like a magic eight ball. Let me know what is in the future. But God has already given to us his word and we don't even obey it. That we want him to reveal more to us, but we don't even obey what he has already revealed to us. And so Jesus goes on here to explain this parable. Verse 31, we'll read the whole thing. He says, which of the two did the will of the Father? And he said the first, or, and they said the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. That the tax collectors and the prostitutes are the first son in this parable. Now, Tax collectors are kind of like, you know, IRS, no one likes them. Um, prostitutes are prostitutes, y'all understand that concept. Um, what he's doing here, and this isn't just like, if you want to get into heaven, you should get into either collecting taxes or prostitution, like that's your best bet. What he's doing here is he's, he's saying, you know, the, the greedy people and the sexually immoral people, uh, the worst of the worst, essentially, these things that are innate human desires, you know, for greed and sexual immorality, things that uh, each and every one of us have had personal experience with in our lives. He's saying the worst of the worst, the worst of your human desire, the worst of the things that you want in your life, well, it's those people who are living in that that are going to be the first to inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's nuts. Right? How many of you guys live that way? You're like, that's why I'm not religious, right? Because of these things that Jesus teaches. That's a crazy thing that Jesus says there. He's going to explain why that is. The whole purpose of this parable is that it's not about being religious or holy to get into the kingdom of God It's about submitting yourself to the authority of God. He's going to explain that in the next verse. He says, For John came, talking about John the Baptist, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. 
So what happens here is John the Baptist, he comes on the scene before Jesus. There's about 400 years of no prophets, no word of God, nothing. There's nothing going on. All of a sudden, John the, uh, the Baptist, I almost forgot his name. John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he's baptizing people in the repentance of their sins. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and people are, are being baptized in the Holy, or not in the Holy Spirit, that comes later. Uh, people are being baptized in the river, the Jordan River, for the repentance of their sins. And so people are coming to him and they're listening to him, but the, the Pharisees don't like it. The Pharisees are saying, that guy is dirty and he's, he's eating locusts and stuff and we don't want anything to do with that. And so they totally reject this message, but what, the people that come to this message are not the religious people. They're not the holy people. They're not the Pharisees. They're not the people that are in the temple. They're not the people who are the Jews. They're not the people who are religious. They are the people who are so broken. They're so, their lives are so out of control. They're so ge- degenerate. They're so wicked. They're saying, I need forgiveness of my sins because I have so many sins. I need God to intercede on my, in my life because there's no way that I can do it myself. And so John the Baptist, is, he's, he's saying, I baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And he's talking about Jesus, and eventually Jesus comes, and he says, that's the guy. That's the person that will deliver you from your sin. See, the religious people, who's us, were in church on a Sunday morning, we like to look the right way. We like to say the right things. We like to be that second son and say, yes, sir, absolutely, whatever you say. Uh, but our lives are so wicked. Our lives are just as wicked as the tax collectors and as the prostitutes. And yet we pretend like everything's okay. We pretend like we're fine. We put on a show. We, we, we say, yes, sir, even though we are just as wicked. See, it's the sinners, it's the degenerates, it's the worthless, it's the unreligious and the unrighteous who will inherit the kingdom of God because they realize their need for God. It's those Pharisees, those religious, who think they have it all together, who think they're fine. They're the ones who are not even in the will of God because they're not submitting themselves to his authority. That the will of God is repentance. It's us turning from our sin. The will of God is us asking for forgiveness and looking to the cross for our forgiveness and submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ. It's not an outside thing, but it's an internal transformation, the repentance of submitting ourselves to Jesus' authority. And this is where we tend to misunderstand what we're talking about when we say God's will. When you look in the Bible at, I don't know, if you like control F, will of God in the Bible, um, I don't know how many verses, because it depends on your translation, it depends on your reading and all that kind of stuff, um, but there's probably like 20 or 30 verses that have some sort of semblance of will of God. And when you look at it, the will of God is never about the future, but it's always about the present. That the will of God is not about how to plan your life, but it's how to live your life. Now you're saying, I'm sure you don't believe me. Why would you believe me? So uh, we've got some verses as examples. John 6, 40. This is probably the best one. I think this is uh, my favorite of the, the ones that I have pulled for you. Like I said, there's a lot, but we're only going to go through four. He says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. The will of Father is simply that we are found in Jesus Christ and that his salvation is granted to us so that in his death we also die and in his resurrection we are also resurrected. The will of God is for our salvation, for us to submit ourselves in Jesus' authority. 
1 Thessalonians 4.3, Ben used this verse last week. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Simple enough, right? That's not, it's not who you're going to marry. It's just simply that you are becoming like Christ. Psalm 143.10, he says, teach me to do your will, O my God, your uh, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. He says, teach me to do your will, as in your will uh, being the, th- the way I live my life, the things that I'm doing day to day. Lord, teach me how to live a way that is glorifying to you. Teach me how to do your will. Psalm 48, he says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. The will of God in that one, he's talking about, this is David saying, that your law is the will of God. When we talk about the will of God, what we are talking about is not how to plan your life, but it's how to live your life. It's not about this stuff that God is going to reveal to you, but it's about the stuff that God has already revealed to you. And it's living in submission to him, looking at his word and doing it. So then how do we know? How do we make decisions? How do we know what's going on in the future? That's kind of the, you know... What about this other thing? We usually talk about the will of God and we're talking about, God, show me this stuff. You know, show me who I'm going to marry or what job I'm going to have or where I'm going to live or how many kids I'm going to have or you know, whatever nonsense you're asking for. Um, how do I make decisions? How do I know? What do I know what the will of God is? Well, it's, it's important to understand, this is going to be a little theological here, there's, there's two aspects to the will of God. The first is God's moral will. And God's moral will is what he has revealed to us through scripture. God's moral will, we know. It's the Ten Commandments. It's the teachings of Jesus. It's the things that he has told us. This is what I want. It's all these verses that we've looked through. This is the will of God that you live in submission to Jesus Christ. It's God's moral will. And we know what that is. The other aspect is called God's providential will. It's God's providence. It's, it's how, sort of how he governs things, how he is working things in and through our lives, how the, kind of he's shaping the future, how he's doing what is going to happen. And that one, we don't know. That's the greatness of the will of God is that we're not God, so we don't get to know what's going to happen. That's why Moses writes in Deuteronomy 29, 29, The secret things belong to the Lord our God forever, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons so that we may observe all that is in the law. The secret things are the secret things. Those are God's. What he is doing, he is doing, and and we aren't called to know. We aren't told we're going to be told those things. We're simply told to have faith and trust in him. It's kind of like this. Um, Do you guys remember Plinko? Any of my, uh, if you stayed home sick at school or from school when you were a kid and, and you would just, you know, grind out game show network, you would just watch so much Price is Right, you know, it, y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all feel me. I was more of a match game guy, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Plinko was this game, you had this little, like, uh, plastic disc, kind of like the one that you play air hockey with, um, and it, you had this big board and you would drop it in the top and there were all these little pegs and it would, you know, that's why it's called Plinko, because it make a Plinko sound. Um, and you wanted, to get into, you wanted to get into these, there's all these slots in the bottom, and the $10,000 slot's the one you want, because you if you did, you got $10,000. Um, you got three, you know, three attempts, it was great. Um, but the deal with Plinko is that everyone, was, everyone thought they were smarter than Plinko. Everyone thought, oh, I know the strategy to Plinko. And so they would like, oh, you, gotta, you can't put it in the middle one, you've got to put it in the two left of the middle one, and you know, you got to put a little spin on it so it'll go down... And what happens is no matter what you plan, no matter what you try to do, no matter what design you had, you are not smarter than the Plinko board. The Plinko board is very random. 
And so you could have all this strategy, but as, fo- as soon as it hits two pegs, your strategy is out the window, and it's going to land where it's going to land. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's kind of how the will of God is, is that we can try to, to tell God what we want to do. We can try to put ourselves, you know, be try to put ourselves in situations and be manipulative of God's will and do this and do that and, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You can suck up to your employer for that promotion or you can, like, always run into that girl at a coffee shop or whatever. But ultimately, no matter what you do, the will of God is not your will. It's not in your control. And so like the Plinko board, you can do whatever you want, but that's not what God has called us to do and ultimately it's going to blow up in your face. Because God doesn't call us to do all this stuff. He says simply Submit to me, trust me, do my will. That's it. Not that everything's going to be okay. I almost said that, but that's wrong. That's heretical. Um, the will of God isn't about us. Remember, David wrote in Psalm 37 4 Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's not that the desires of your heart is that he's giving you whatever you wanted, whatever it was that you desired. When he's saying that, he says, if your delight is in the Lord, then you're going to get the Lord. If your delight is in the Lord, then the only thing that you will really desire is the Lord. And so whatever he does, you will just have him. It might be good. It might be awesome, like Solomon or David, where you have a whole kingdom. It might be awful, where you're Jeremiah and you're sitting in the ashes of your hometown waiting to die. You don't know, but you'll have God either way. And you know, that's a beautiful thing. Is that if my delight is in the Lord, then it doesn't really matter. Because the only thing that I'll desire, I'll have. And that's his love. That's his kindness. That's his compassion. That's him. The will of God isn't about us, but it's about God. And so our goal shouldn't be trying to figure out all of these unrevealed things, but simply trying to obey him in the revealed things. And when we look at, okay, well, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for, like, making decisions? What does this mean for, if you're graduating college, where are you going to go next? What does this mean for whatever stage of life you're in? Um, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the, uh, probably the greatest teaching Jesus ever gave. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, he kind of is as near the end of it, and he's talking about, you know, well, you people that are worried about what should I eat, or what should I wear, or what should I do, or what should, you know, this and that. And he says to them in, in Matthew 6, 33 and 34, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And he, he's talking in that, this beautiful passage of, of, you know, look at how beautiful the lilies of the field are. And if God is clothing them in beauty, then surely he'll take care of you. And sometimes that's true, sometimes that's not. Sometimes uh, God takes care of us in the ways that we think, you know, whatever. But sometimes God take, just takes care of us in the sense that he has died for our sins. There's not really any knowledge of what tomorrow will bring. But Jesus tells us, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. There are enough troubles today. And those troubles he's talking about, enough troubles today, is today we are called to, uh, to submit ourselves to him. Today we are called to be obedient to him. Today we are called to have faith that God has tomorrow planned 
and we needn't worry much about it. Because we have the knowledge that Jesus Christ has come. He has died for our sins. He has taken care of our biggest problem, and that is sin. And he has brought us from death into life. And to be honest, not much else matters. How much money are you going to make? What job are you going to do? Any of that kind of stuff? I mean, it's, it's, it's good to seek advice. It's good to, to talk to people who are, are good, godly men and women about those decisions. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that your Father in heaven loves you. That Jesus Christ has bled and died and resurrected for you. And that if you delight in him, you will have everything you need. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you thankful of your goodness. We know that your will is good and that ultimately it was your will to come to this earth and suffer the penalty of sin and be raised up on the third day on our behalf. We thank you that your will always comes to pass and we pray that we can submit ourselves to you and to your will, to your goodness, and that we can delight ourselves in you, Jesus. We pray that you give us the strength to submit ourselves to you like the first son. And that even when we fail like the second son, Jesus, that you forgive us and that you clothe us in your righteousness. Jesus, thank you so much for the work that you've done. And thank you so much that you are our delight, Lord. In your name, amen.